Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. Short week for the Patriots, of course, as they get ready to play on Thanksgiving night against the Minnesota Vikings. I'm Brian Barrett. We're going to be joined by Pete Bursich, the color commentator for the Minnesota Vikings, in just a little bit, so we'll get into greater detail on this matchup between the Patriots and the Vikings coming up on Thanksgiving. But I kind of wanted to go back to the metric man for this one and just sort of break down how the Patriots are failing Mac Jones. And the more and more we get into this Matt Patricia era, if you will, as the play caller, the more and more I start to get frustrated. So, and to be fair, I have criticized Mac a lot when he hasn't played well this season. And he deserves to shoulder some of the blame for the issues that the Patriots have had. But this decision to make a guy that has never called plays offensively for a quarterback that you drafted 15th overall and is entering year two is just more and more dumbfounding by the day. It would be one thing if it was prime Tom Brady, right? Tom was good with Weiss. He was great with Josh. He was good with Bill O'Brien. And he was great with Byron Leftwich after they had that little hiccup when he first got there. He was really good with Byron Leftwich. He should have been the MVP of the NFL last season, at least if I was having a vote when it comes to that, right? So if Tom was here, I would be fine with this decision because of Tom's track record, I would say it doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is. All that matters is that Tom Brady is the quarterback of the Patriots, right? So, but not now with Mac Jones. And the thing that sticks out to me more so than anything else is last season, Bill compared Josh McDaniels to Nick Saban. Here was the quote. He's already a step ahead of me. Again, it's kind of like Saban when we were in Cleveland. Nick knew what every player on the field was doing. 
He knew what the running back was keying. He knew what the nose guard was doing. He knew what everybody on the field was doing. And Josh is just kind of the same way. Remember, that happened just last year. He compared Nick Saban to Josh McDaniels, or I should say Josh McDaniels to Nick Saban. Think about that for a second. That's who was being compared to Josh McDaniels. And look, I've had my issues with Josh, but Bill Belichick himself compared the man to one of the greatest or what would become the greatest collegiate coach in the history of college football. So here's my issue. It just doesn't add up to make Matt Patricia the play caller of this team because this decision to hand this over to Matt Patricia, we're seeing the results. You basically went out there and said that Josh McDaniels was as valuable to the Patriots offense last season as Nick Saban was to your defense in Cleveland. And we said at the time, it didn't really make sense to make Matt Patricia the play caller. Who could think it would make sense to make Matt Patricia the play caller, right? Nobody thought it would make sense. But it really now appears to be an arrogant decision, right? How can you make just a guy that has never called plays before your coordinator when you're essentially saying the coordinator he's replacing is the Nick Saban of that side of the ball, if you will, right? And it almost reminds me of, and now this is on a way bigger scale, the way that it feels like Bill is disrespecting the offensive play caller position, if you will, it almost reminds me of like Heim Bloom in first base. My producer and I, Jamie, were talking about this the other day. Hey, Franchi, you never played first? Go ahead. And we saw what happened. Hey, Christian Royo, you never played first base? Go ahead. You get hurt your first game. Like they just didn't respect the position. But with the Patriots, this is the most important player with the franchise, that being Mac Jones, since Tom Brady. And the decision was to go with a guy with zero experience. I just want to figure out how did Matt Patricia sell this to Bill or did Bill think it actually would work? How could you think it was going to work, right? And this year, instead of building on what you did well last year, you wanted to make changes, whether that's Bill, whether that's Patricia, whoever it is, both of those guys. And clearly, those changes haven't helped the quarterback, right? And it's not just the quarterback. The other component to this is this. The whole offense has gotten worse. So if you had asked me last year, right, hey, what was the Patriots' offensive identity in 2021? Or better yet, what were the Patriots good at in 2021? I would have told you, you know what, they ran the ball really well, and they were a good play-action team, right? So, And the numbers would bear that out. So if you look at the Patriots last year in terms of their running game, they were a seventh in rush EPA, so that's an efficiency stat. On a per-play basis, they were seventh in the NFL in rushing. They were fourth in success rate, which is really good. They were seventh at rush DVOA, football outsiders metric, and they were eighth in rushing yards per game at 124.4. So any way you sliced it up, the advanced numbers were good. The raw numbers were good. So I figured coming into this season, hey, you know what? The running game is going to be really good this season. It could be even better, right? Because Ramondre Stevenson is going to take a step forward and he's taken even a bigger step than we could have imagined, right? And Damian Harris is going to be good. So the numbers are going to be this year, they're going to be better in the running game. Well, not so much. You look at the running game this year, 24th in rush EPA compared to 7th last year. So on a per play basis, they're 24th in the NFL running the football with Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris. That should not be the case whatsoever. 24th in success rate compared to 4th, 24th in rush DVOA compared to 7th, and 17th in rushing yards per game at 115.4 compared to 8th a season ago. So they've gone from basically a top eight running team in every category to bottom third of the league in terms of their running game. And it just sticks out to me because you go back to last Sunday, Ramondre Stevenson, 
He finished with 26 rushing yards in the game. He finished with 29 yards after contact. Pro Football Focus actually documents all this. So 26 rushing yards and 29 after contact. That means he is constantly being met in the backfield. I mean, that's just, it cannot happen. And it continues to happen over and over again with this Patriots team. More yards after contact than actual rushing yards. It's the second time it's happened for Ramondre Stevenson this season. So they wanted to make changes with this wide zone stuff. Well, I guess it ain't working. So instead of coming into the season, doubling down on what they did last year that really worked in the running game, the numbers bear it out. They were an elite running football team last year. They wanted to make changes. And so far this year, I think we can all agree that it's completely backfired on them. Imagine having a running back like Ramondre Stevenson, that good, that talented, average 1.7 yards per carry in a game, because that's what happened on Sunday against the New York Jets, because the Patriots could not create holes for him whatsoever. And look, the offensive line has been a major issue for this team. But what's really different about that group, with the exception of Shaq Mason, and look, I'm not disrespecting what Shaq Mason did for this team because he was a really good player and the Patriots decided to trade him away, but the personnel isn't dramatically different. Matt Patricia's coaching that group. Everyone's gotten worse, whether it be Isaiah Wynn, Brown sucked the other day. All these guys are getting worse. Now, David Andrews, that's an injury issue, but these guys are getting worse. So one of the strengths of this Patriots team from last year has turned into a weakness, the running game. I never imagined that the Patriots would be a bad running team after what happened last year. And the prediction was huge leap for Ramondre. He made the leap and the running game in general has actually gotten worse. It just doesn't make any sense. This shouldn't be happening. But again, you look at some of the changes they tried to make and it's just not working. The other thing that worked last year, especially for the quarterback Mac Jones, was the play action. And one of the critiques that I quite frankly had for Josh is, hey, why don't you dial up more play action passes? Because... Mac Jones is actually really good at it. Well, if you look at the numbers this year in terms of the play action, if you just look at the frequency, Mac Jones this season, 17.3% of his dropbacks come via play action. That's 26 out of 30 quarterbacks. Last year, that number was at 26.8%, which is 12th out of 30 quarterbacks. So wait, this is what I'm so confused by. Mac was good in a, as a play action passer last year, and you actually took the frequency and put it down. You say, let's do less play action. Hey, I know he's really good at play action. Let's do less of it. In what world does that make sense? And just look at Sunday. Hopefully this is a trend going forward that they start to dial it up more. Six of seven for Mac, 85.7%, 98 yards, 14 yards per attempt, and a 118.8 rating. It works. So why haven't the Patriots been using this more often? It just doesn't make sense to me whatsoever. Your job is to help the young quarterback, and you're making Mac Jones' life right now more difficult, right? And it just seems like, I don't know if it's an ego thing with Patricia or, quite frankly, with Bill, that, hey, why don't you abort some of the things that aren't working and just go back to what was working last year? Because Mac was good as a rookie, and we're all questioning the future of the quarterback, and deservingly so, but it's not as if the organization is helping him right now. So, it isn't just that the quarterback's taken a step back. If you just look at the offensive personnel, think about all the players that have taken a step back. Hunter Henry, Bourne, Wynn, Brown. And look, some of these guys, it's playing time related with the Kendrick Bournes of the world, with the Hunter Henrys of the world. But what's the common thread in all this stuff? Matt Patricia's in charge of the offense. And so all of a sudden, all these guys, not just the quarterback, right? Because it'd be one thing if it was just Mac, but all these guys across the board offensively are taking a step back. Who's that point to that is not doing his job correctly. 
it's Matt Patricia. <laughs> it's like, I mean, Matt Patricia, it's unbelievable to me. How often we see Bill bench guys when they don't play well. I mean, I wonder what Matt Patricia would be doing right now if he was a player because he has been downright atrocious. But the other thing is this, the Patriots defense, and this is what is so sad about the Patriots offense this season. The Patriots defense has been elite and they're actually setting the offense up for success, but they can't take advantage of it. So the Patriots defense is turning its opponents over on 16.9% of their drives. That's the second best in the NFL. That number last year was at 13%, which was good. Seventh in the NFL, but it's at 16.9% this year. So they're giving the Patriots even more opportunities this year. And how about this? The Patriots, in terms of their line of scrimmage per drive, where they start their drives, this year, number one in the NFL at at the 32-yard line, right, uh, right under the 33-yard line, I should say. So first in the NFL in terms of field position. Last year, they were at third. So first in field position, second in terms of how often their defense is turning their opponent over. So you've been great in those two categories. Your defense is forcing turnovers left and right. You're getting handed great opportunities. So what has the offense done with these opportunities? Because last year, you got this too. Now, not to the level this year, but if you just look at it, the offense is scoring on 33.3% of its drives. That's 22nd in the NFL. Where was that number last year? 48%, which was second in the NFL. So think about that, going from 48% down to 33.3. And then you look at plays per drive. This year, you know what the Patriots are at at plays per drive? 29th in the NFL, 5.70, 29th in plays per drive. Last year, they were at eighth, which was 6.42. And then if you just look at the red zone offense, which again, that's a coaching thing. That's drawing it up. That's scheming it up when you get in the red zone. Belichick talked about it after the game last week. They're turning their red zone trips into touchdowns 42.86% of the time this year. You know where that ranks in the NFL? 31st. You know where that last year? 7th at 63.08. So 63.08 down to 42.86. That's coaching. So they were really good in most statistical categories last year from an offensive perspective. Really good in most categories to horrible this year. So my point is, I just feel like at times we've been tough on the quarterback, myself included, but man, I'm really starting to wonder, and I can't believe I'm saying this with a Bill Belichick coach team, but if they put the starting quarterback in a position to take a step back and now with Patricia, the answer is unequivocally yes. They have taken the quarterback and he's taken a step back and partially it's on him, but I put more of it right now on the coaching staff. And I never thought the Patriots would be the organization that did this to a young quarterback. So for the most part, the personnel is the same. The Patriots offense, although they didn't really scare you last year, after, especially, and they struggled after the bye week, but they were pretty good for the majority of the season. They just aren't that at all this year. And it's amazing to me that they have such a good defense and they're coached so well on the defensive side of the ball. They're doing some really cool things. And they're coached so poorly on the offensive side of the ball. Like it could not be any more different in terms of how good that defense is to how bad this offense is. And because Patricia has been so bad, it's tough for me to really get an accurate assessment of Mac Jones going forward. And that's a brutal spot to be in, right? And another thing, and look, Mac deserves blame. We're going to keep saying that, but he hasn't been helped by Patricia at all. So Mac, as we mentioned, he struggled against pressure this year. And earlier this year, Mac was bringing it on himself at times, but Sunday certainly was not. You go back and you look at the six sacks, maybe one you can blame Mac for if you go back and watch those. But you look at the numbers, it was not Mac last week in terms of his fault when he was getting pressure. But if you just look at the numbers on the season, 
Pro Football Focus documents this in terms of how much of how many pressures should be charged to the quarterback. Like, is he holding on to the ball too long, right? So Mac is at 8.2% this season, which is eighth of 39 quarterbacks. That's via Pro Football Focus. So the point being is that the pressure is not being caused by Mac Jones. It's the offensive line and it's the scheme with Matt Patricia. And Mac, we've outlined the pressure numbers have not been great this season, but when you have a traditional pocket passer, you need to help the quarterback in terms of the pressure and with the blitz because Mac is at 54.9 in terms of his rating against the blitz. That's last in the NFL among qualifiers. So naturally having a guy that can create and make plays by himself, that's going to help you against pressure. Mac's not that. But do you know who the two highest quarterbacks this year are against pressure? Geno Smith and Tua. Both guys are traditional pocket passers. Now, Tua is a little bit more athletic than Mac, but he's not like a scrambling type of quarterback. He gets rid of the ball really quickly. So their passer ratings against pressure, 98 for Geno, 97.3 for Tua. So why are they so good against pressure? It's the scheme. Their guys get open, and I mean get open real quickly because of their scheme. Now, part of it's personnel, sure. I mean, Tua's got Tyreek Hill, but another component to that is just the scheme, scheming guys up quickly. So if you look at their tight window throws, and this is something we harped on earlier this season, the closest defender within one yard, Tua is 32nd out of 39 qualified quarterbacks, 12.1% of the time he's throwing into tight windows. Geno's 35th at 11.7%. Mac is at 19th at 14.9%. So that's a significant jump up from where Tua and where Geno are. And if you look at it, Tua last year wasn't good against pressure, right? If you look at his rating, 54.8, that was 32nd. This year, as we mentioned, that rating's at 97.3. Well, what's the difference? Tua was throwing into tight windows 19.3% of the time last year, highest in the NFL. This year, as we alluded to, that number's down to 12.1. So the passer rating against pressure has gotten better by 42.5 points. It's not rocket science. His guys are getting schemed open quickly. Max aren't. How many times do you see Mac getting sacked and nobody's open yet? Guys aren't even in a situation where there's anybody close to the line of scrimmage in terms of outlets for Mac Jones. So the whole point of this is not to defend Mac, but it's just to illustrate that the Patriots and mainly Mac Patricia have hurt the quarterback. So your decision going forward after the season is a third play caller in three years for Mac Jones, if you're going to replace Mac Patricia at that particular position, or you bet on Patricia again in 2023. So either way, it's not great for the quarterback, right? You're going to get a new play caller for the third year. Usually quarterbacks that do that coming into the NFL, they usually don't succeed. Or you're going to go back to Matt Patricia, who has been really, really bad as an offensive play caller. There's no way around it. And I just, and I know we did it a lot before the season, but I just can't believe we're here. And all the numbers bear it out. The offense has taken a significant step backwards and from my perspective, it's a lot more to do with Matt Patricia and the coaching staff than it is to do with the quarterback. And that's where, like, coming into next year, 2023, unless we see something significant down the stretch of the season from Mac, I don't know. Like, that's the bad thing about this organization. I don't know if he can be your guy because we don't have enough answers because the play calling has been so bad for the quarterback and this scheme has been so bad for the quarterback that you can't determine Mac's future. You almost have to wait another year to figure out if he can play or not. All right, coming up next, we will chat with Vikings radio analyst Pete Bursich, and we'll preview this Patriots-Vikings game. I actually feel good about this game. I'll tell you about that in the greatest Boston bet of the week. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. 
Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Of course, a short week for the Patriots as they get ready to play on Thanksgiving night against the Vikings. And to preview that game, joining us now, Vikings radio analyst also played for the team from 94 through 2000, Pete Bursich. Pete, thank you so much for taking some time, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Good morning. And yeah, short week for us. Thank God, right? <laughs> yeah, so. after what happened last week to you guys. And yeah. maybe maybe a short week for the Patriots offense is good too because that was ugly. So give us an idea. This team is 8-2. and two. They have the worst point differential ever for an 8-2 and two team. They've been outscored by two points a lot is because of, of course, last week. But yeah. you juxtapose the huge win over the Bills, which is just crazy. You could argue the best win in the NFL this season, and then the loss to Dallas. So what was the difference in those two games? Oh, uh, you know, the difference... The difference is so much. It, it, it's hard to believe that um, effort, uh, physicality, and those kind of things can make that much of a difference in that short a time. But really, that's I think that's that's the thing. Um, they had they had there were eight teams, eight well, eighteen. There's only a handful of teams in the history of the NFL that had won seven games uh, by one score or less that um, were able to, you know. Well, no one's ever gotten a nine or eight, I believe. But um, it was just a it was a record amount of close games. And you have the wherewithal to do that, right? You have the wherewithal to win that many games by um, by that kind of a point margin. And then you go out to Buffalo and have such a day like you did. And then right after that, it it I don't know if people say they it just too much of a hangover, the whole thing. I don't know, um, but they just were not ready to play. All right, so it's interesting to me, too, because if you look at this going forward, you have Kevin O'Connell coaching against Bill Belichick, who, of course, Kevin O'Connell was a backup here for the Patriots. Now, the, yeah. the Belichick coaching tree, the guys that actually coach from have not done well, but a guy that played for him, Mike Vrabel, has done really well, and he's had a lot of success against Bill. So I'm wondering sort of how Kevin O'Connell approaches going into this game against Bill Belichick. Um, he, you know, with him being familiar with him, um, I think it's the, it's more, it's more of the coaching side of it now. And I don't know how many times as, as, as a coach, he's run into Belichick and run into the defense and run into the way, um, you know, that he likes to play. Um, it's it going to mean something to him. Yes, absolutely. It's going to mean even more after what happened, uh, you know, on Sunday and, um, I don't know. I mean, I think that's I think that's kind of half the bit, right? It's like coaching against him. You know what yeah. I mean? You're coming <laughs> back, and it's you, you, the mentor, the whole mentor thing. You know, I think that's um, you know that's a that's a huge part of it. Um, but Kevin O'Connell's done a really really nice job. Um, he's done a great job keeping these guys together, getting them ready, um, and then you know you, you, you've seen it eight nine times, and then you saw what happened. Uh, you know, Sunday and you kind of scratch your head and go, okay, well, you know, life's not what happens to you. It's how you respond. And I'm very, very anxious to see how this group responds um, because getting another look at the game, it's, it's, again, it's more effort and desire and physicality than anything else. Cause we like to say that a lot, you know, Oh, it's just effort. It's just, it's like, but that, in this case, 
yeah, that, that, that was a big, big part of uh, what went wrong. Yeah. And you could see a letdown maybe coming after beating a team like the Buffalo Bills and the game of the year by far in the NFL, not to use that as an excuse. But how about Kirk Cousins, right? No. Because we see him wearing the chains now on the plane after <laughs> the wins. And but we also know like the history of Cousins with the this primetime record, whether that's overblown or not. But what's sort of the approval rating of Cousins in Minnesota right now? Um, Yeah, you, you know, it. It, it's interesting because you have, you know, you have kind of two camps like, and it's, I think it's, you can say that with any quarterback anywhere, you know, on any team. Um, the difference I think here is just uh, the national media and when they get themselves involved. And I mean, obviously that loss takes you out of the national spotlight. Um, but fans here, you gotta, you gotta, I guess the thing with Kirk, is you gotta know exactly what he is and what he's not. Um, but the fans here love him. I mean, the fans here are behind him, a, v- a vast majority. You're always going to have your, you know, the noisy ones that that don't that don't want to approve of anything and don't like anyone, and always want to. You always they always want to get rid of a guy to trade for some future draft pick that down the road that's going to be fantastic. Um, but uh, you know, to put that last game on him. Uh, we've won more games because of him than lost. So it, it's, it's, um, it's, he's getting used to the new system. He's getting used to being, I think, more involved uh, with um, the offensive play calling, the game plan, more pre snap work for him than, than, than ever. And uh, so he's, 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 they were still getting this whole thing together and getting it going. So there's well, some, there's some stumbling blocks along the way. Well, and it's interesting, too, looking back at some of the numbers from that game that he was actually pressured on 60 percent of his dropbacks. And the Patriots are right behind the Cowboys in terms of pressure rate this season. And I know that. Great. Great. Thank you. That's wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know that Derrissaw is going to be out, who's emerged into one of the best left tackles in the NFL. So how big of a problem is protecting Kirk Cousins in this game going to be against New England? Are they going to have to make some changes here on how they do things? Yeah, they might. Um, I think schematically, what you're going to need to do is not get behind on the down. Uh, and I don't mean behind on the scoreboard because I think that's obvious. What you can't do is is get behind on the set of downs. And if you look at um, last week against the Dallas Cowboys, and if you watch their sacks and watch their highlight reel, look, take a look at the down at distance. Third and eight, third and twelve, third and fifteen, third and nineteen, third and twenty-five. We averaged, I believe, third and um, somewhere between third and twelve and third and fifteen, and they averaged third and three. So it's like, okay, that's you have to be efficient on first and second down. If we line up third and seven plus, um, let's say five, six, seven times of the twelve or fourteen third downs that we get. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a bloodbath. And in, we can't keep doing that. We can't keep just having third and longs, third and longs. And, and we, we put ourselves behind the eight ball. Um, penalties on some, but it's just efficiency on first and second down. Uh, completion percentage on first and second down. Um, if the Vikings can do that and run the football, because everyone said, you know, running the football is some is still important. It still takes the edge off uh, a lot of the pass rushers, um, and ultimately, uh, you know, make it a one store one score game ish or you know close where you can still um, 
have the threat of the run. I mean, when you're, you know, in a game like last week, it got so, it got so bent out of shape. Those guys didn't even care about the run. They're just saying, you know, we're just going to, we're just putting our ears back. We're running the TE stunts. We're running all the stunts. I mean, that's probably what, what worries me or concerns me the most. Um, it's, it's unfortunate when you see a team be successful with something against you. And then the team you play the following week is even better at those things, um, defensively. So, uh, that's the main thing for Cousins, and that's the main thing for this offense is to not get behind. Field position is going to be big, um, and um, you know, flipping the field. It's just a different. It's going to be a different mentality. This is not going to be an up and down the field game by any means. All right. So Bill Belichick this morning compared Justin Jefferson to Rob Gronkowski at his press conference, and which he looks is like nothing very- like Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> I know. I know. He also did say this, Pete. He said that he was an obvious top 10 pick if you watched him coming out of LSU, which to me, I would say that's probably not. I'm not going to take Belichick's word for that because he did draft Nikhil Harry over Debo Samuel and A.J. Brown. So I don't know if Bill would have taken him in the top 10. But nonetheless, this guy's been arguably not really arguably the best receiver in the NFL this year, maybe him or Tyreek Hill. So what makes this guy so special? Um. What makes him special from a physical ability standpoint is is how quick he is and how he can start and stop and how he can move. Um, that part of it is is unbelievable. Um, he's a down the field kind of guy. He's not he's not a he's not an underneath wiggle type receiver. You know he's he's a guy that you want to get the ball to down the field. And I think the second part is his catch radius. Um, you know one of the things with Cousins is getting him the fifty fifty ball, meaning when Cousins is under pressure. Um, you know, sees you know sees Jefferson covered or apparently covered. Get him the ball anyway because he's probably going to come up with it. Um, we saw that on that fourth big fourth down play against Buffalo where he was merely had two guys on him and he still threw the ball and Jefferson still found a way to come down with it. So his hands and his catch radius um, are are absolutely amazing and he he's a good down the field route runner, a great down the field route runner. Um, and we found teams that have slow you know slowed him slowed him down a little bit. Um, you know, if you have a guy that can be physical, jam, play man to man and have help with the safety and play that game, help inside, help outside, you know, um, that, that, you know, we've seen some success on that. Um, but he's smart too. He can move him around. And on that 81 yard touchdown, uh, that Dalvin Cook had, he had a really key block on that play. So he's not afraid to get in there and block and do those things as well. So, um, great kid, positive, um, Loves coming to work. He's, he's he, you know, he he's just. It's no, it's no um, coincidence that his his attitude, um, and what he does has made him is put him where he is. He had a, he had a couple bad days in training camp this year, and I remember him staying after practice and watching him, and he's just on the jugs machine catching footballs, you know, and and you know, guys in his, a lot of guys his that are. Where he is, will say, "Hey, I already made it." But no, he he's he's dedicated to being, you know, he smiles and laughs about it and all that. But he's very very serious about where he is and what he's doing and where he wants to go. So, yeah, well, Pete, I expect that Belichick to give all the attention defensively to Justin Jefferson, just based on that's kind of his track record, right? He's trying to take away your best thing. Absolutely. Although he against Baltimore, it didn't happen. Mark Andrews had a big game, even though the game plan was to stop Mark Andrews. But you mentioned Alvin Cook, the eighty-one yard run last week, so. The Patriots at times, their defense has been great this season, but they have had trouble against the run. Does this line have the ability against this Patriots defense to create more holes for Cook in this one? 
Um, you know, yeah, this is this is where we're going to miss Derisaw because as good as he can pass protect, he's 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 really really good in the run. Um, we we have to stay committed to it, right? We have to we have to stay committed to it, and then we also have to. I say we. Uh, the Vikings also have to uh, keep the game close enough to where the run is still a viable threat. And you see it, your defense, and and this is something that I, you know, watching film yesterday, but your defense is just so physical. Those guys, up, the guys up front, um, Bentley, the linebackers, so fast, so physical. Um, they, you know, um, they're so quick up front that you, ha- you know, early on guy like Dietrich wise, it's like early on, he's going to, you know, he's going to have those long arms and then, you know, the gaps aren't going to be as big, but you have to stay with it. You have to continue to keep, you know, put, you know, keep pounding that football. Um, but I just think with a short week, there's so it limits the absolute amount that you can game plan and what you can install and what you can take out. So um, I would like to think we can go heavy with the run, but um, with, you know, with the way the Dallas game went, you can't really in, reinvent the wheel, you know. And we're going to need uh, um, we're going to need a big big week out of Hawkinson blocking too. You know, he's he's he, he's seventeen passes in his first two games, or seventeen receptions, I believe, and he, the numbers have kind of dwindled a little bit. We got to get him back involved in the passing game. Yeah, and Matt Patricia knows him, but Matt Patricia is coaching the other <laughs> side of the ball now, coaching the offensive <laughs> side of things, which is a whole different story, Pete. But speaking of the Patriots offense going up against this Vikings defense, we know that Zedarius Smith has been an outstanding signing, bringing him over from Green Bay. And this Patriots offensive line was absolutely horrendous on Sunday. And this is trending in this direction. They're bringing guys in and out of the lineup. They're benching guys. They just can't figure it out. So how do they use Smith? Will they move him around at all to try to find the weak link on that Patriots offense. It's not going to be hard to find. There's a lot of them, well, but will they move yeah. them around? The um the thing with the thing with Zedarius is he he's a better interior pass rusher than he is an outside mm-hmm. pass rusher. And and he is an outside linebacker, so on base downs, that is where he's going to be and that's where he's going to rush from. Um but on third down, and it's going to be the same thing for you guys too. You you're going to want to stay out of third and long. Um but they, what they'll do with Zedarius is they can move them around, right? You still have, you know, uh, TJ, you know, DJ Wanham and Daniil Hunter for defensive ends, so you can move those guys around. You can move Daniil around, or you can move Zedarius. But the his you watching film on him at Green Bay before he came to the Minnesota Vikings, a majority of his sacks were from the interior. They were just you know, sh- shortest shortest point there, shortest distance to a quarterback is a straight line, right? So if there's a weakness in the in the middle of the offensive line, they'll find a way to exploit it. And I know you guys, your your center was injured, and so you're going to have a backup in that position. So I would expect to see a lot of Zedarius up the middle. He has been questionable for the last couple of weeks with the knee. His play time was limited a little bit on Sunday. Uh, so if the Zedarius that we see on Thursday night is not 100%, He'll still be effective, but he's not. He, you know, uh, watching the game on Sunday, he's not the guy that he was, you know, a few weeks ago. So he's a little nicked up right now. You know, Mac Jones so far this year, he's been really bad against pressure, and it's not all on him. Like the scheme has not been great for them. They don't have a lot of quick game in the offense, which is something that they did a little bit more last year when Josh McDaniels was here. But 
He's also been, he's the worst rated passer against the Blitz this season. And I was looking at the Vikings, so they're only 28th in Blitz rate. It feels like they don't bring the pressure that often in terms of bringing extra guys. Do you think knowing that about Mac, they'll bring some heat more often in this game or no? Yeah, I would I would think so. He's a guy you want to pressure and get in the pocket. And then, and then I think in what I've, it's it, with what everything I've seen in the NFL now, uh, mobility of a quarterback is so important. And I don't mean just as a scrambler. Right, we're not, we're not, we're no, we're not just talking about pulling the ball down and 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 going. Um, you're talking about the ability to move in the pocket and extend a play, more like an Aaron Rodgers would. Um, and when you when you face a quarterback that can move and do those things, you change the way you pass rush. Right, all of a sudden it's you're much more cognizant of where you are. You're not going to get too far upfield. You're not going to get too edgy up the middle because the you know, you don't want the middle of the defense to open up so you can just pull it down and run like we saw with Josh Allen against us a couple times. Um, and that's one thing with both of our quarterbacks is I don't I just don't see them um moving. Like Mac Jones, I don't see him moving to extend plays. He kind of stays in the same spot. And if we can, you know, collapse that pocket on him, uh that'd be a great thing. And the ball comes out very quickly. Uh, whether or not the Vikings can install enough pressure in three days to do that. I think that's point number one. The other point is, is getting just like I said about our offense, keeping you guys in third and seven or third, you know, third and long. And if we can do that, then the Vikings can, yeah, absolutely. I think get some pressure, but um, I expect, I I expect Belichick to come out and just have Mac Jones just hand his arms going to be fine. He's just going to be handing it off here handing it off there. He's going to tell his defense, keep this game close so we can still run the football. And then you guys are just going to try to pound the ball on the ground um, and and go that route. I mean, this is – that's how I expected the Dallas game to go. Uh, but I think it's – it's. I was a week or, or, what, three or four days early in my prediction. Um, you, you just – you you after seeing what they saw on the ground uh, and, and the efficiency with which Dallas ran the football – um, Pollard had over 200 yards of offense receiving and run, you know, total between receiving and with the ability of the backs to catch the ball in space. You guys have two really good backs out of the backfield shifty. Um, I don't, I, I don't see Mac Jones being the putting it on his shoulders and saying, Hey, it's third and eight, go out there and get her done. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't see him putting Mac Jones in that position. You know, especially with the offensive line, I think it's going to be more of a more, it's going to be more a little bit more of a snoozer in that respect. Unless, of course, you're the guy that likes the running games and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, it's interesting too that you mentioned the running game because Ramondre Stevenson has emerged into one of the better backs in the NFL. I mean, he's making some ridiculous one-handed catches. Last week, he shrugged off a guy and then he hurdled another guy. I mean, it's just been phenomenal yeah. to see this guy go from last year, where he's basically the number two running back behind Harris, to one of the premier running backs in the league. But if you look at the game last week, he actually had more yards after contact than actual rushing yards. The Patriots have done a really poor job up front creating holes for him. So this Vikings defense, I was looking at some of the raw numbers are not great, but the advanced numbers look to be a lot better in terms of their rush defense. Do you think the Patriots will be able to run on this Vikings D? Um, You know, Dalvin Tomlinson, whether or not he'll be back, he's, you know, he's a big part of it. Um, You know, again, I, I, I just, I see some of our guys on our on, on the defense just not being, you know, one hundred percent. You come out, you come away from a game where the Cowboys ran the ball forty times and Eric Kendricks had three tackles. 
Um, Jordan Hicks had six. Um, you know, the safe, you know, you look at the leading tacklers and it's safety, defensive back, safety, you know, and, and you're like, okay, well, that's, that means they're getting to that second level. That means these running backs, you know, we're, we're letting them get, you know, up to that second level and um, up front with the ability, the strength that you need to have, especially at outside linebacker to close some of these gaps. I mean, physicality is built into the system. Um, and you can't just take a shoulder and an edge and take a gap because you're going to be short. So, um, I, you know, you'd love to say it's a schematic thing, but it's a, it's going to be a, an effort and desire thing, right? It's going to be, um, whether or not we can push around and, and physically dominate an offensive line. Now, Dallas's offensive line, very, very solid in the middle, um, you know, you guys are having some injury issues and those things. Will that help us out? I believe it will. Um, but then again, if you guys can stick with the run and continue to run, um, and you mentioned Ramondre, he's he's unbelievable after the catch. And, um, you know, Zeke Elliott didn't put up a huge box score day, but he fell forward all the time. There were not a lot of tackles for losses. And again, that goes back to getting ahead on the chains, right? It's like, if you can run the ball twice, I, I just look at Belichick and think, if you can run the ball twice and deal with third and two, third and three, third and four all night long, you'll take that. And this is the kind of game I think that you'll take that because you feel that your defense is going to be able to hold our offense, you know, limit our offense. And you're not going to, you know, not, not going to fall behind uh, on, you know, on the scoreboard. So um, he'll be looking at running early, like putting money in the bank. And he's going to challenge that. He's going to say, all right, you guys say, you know, you, after what happened a few days ago, I'm going to make you do that. And um, it'll be very interesting to see. So Harrison Phillips, some of our guys up front, they do a good job. But um, we've been putting so much pressure on them um, the last couple of weeks that uh, you know, they just can't hold up. All right. Well, that, that makes me feel a little bit better because the Patriots run game has not been as good as we thought it'd be coming into the season, <laughs> despite the fact that they have good backs. So I hope they can get that going because then that helps Mac, too, because he's he's really good at as a play action passer. So I hope they can yep. get that going. That's when they had their big you know, plays last week against me, New York. Let me say this. Mac Jones and Kirk Cousins are very similar in that respect. Um, when you can get pressure on them, it's like when you play the Patriots, you have to know your hot routes, right? You have to know mm -hmm. how you're going to deal with the blitz. You got to you, know, you have to deal with all those things. And, you know, Mac Jones is, is not a guy like just like Kirk. Kirk gets in the top of his drop and that's where he is. Right. He doesn't like to move. He doesn't move. You know, it, if you don't put pressure on him, the guy's going to pick you apart. Don't get me wrong. The guy has one of the strongest and most accurate arms that I've seen, which is why Justin Jefferson has had the success he, that he's that he's had. So um, the teams that are able to keep his completion percentage below you know somewhere in the low 60s and below have had a lot of success and a lot of that's pressure uh, i see a lot of the same thing out of mac jones i mean he's been hit a ton and when you got guys the offensive lines getting pushed back into your face you're not gonna look down the field you're gonna you hit your check down you're not gonna follow through the inaccuracy starts and um uh, the, in that respect the two of them are, are extremely similar and um you know that's we'll see how that turns out. I expect more movement out of Cousins. I would expect more movement out of Mac Jones, more bootlegs, more dashes, more uh, cutting the field in half, three receivers out to one side, which killed us on which killed us on Sunday. Let him just make a quick, you know, deep middle short read, throw the football, move on in the next play.
or hand it off. That's that's always good too for quarterbacks because then the play action opens up. So, um, yeah, very very similar, I believe, in that respect between Mac Jones and Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that comparison because I've brought it up a couple of times, and I just wonder with Mac not having really a lot of special traits that I wonder what the ceiling is for a guy like Mac Jones in the modern day NFL. You mentioned those guys that can scramble and whatnot. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's about moving around. It's not, you don't have to be Justin Fields, right? I mean, Justin yeah. Fields in, you know, I watch Fields scramble. I grew up in Chicago. I'm a Bears fan, right? So you watch Justin Field go about his business and you love it. He's unbelievable, but you look at it and say, how long can he do that? Mm-hmm. You know, how long can he, uh, continue to do that. I remember Michael Vick, that's back when I was coaching, he almost revolutionized the quarterback position in that respect. And, and you know, you're like, okay, he's going to, you know, physically, how long can you keep that up? And it's the quarterbacks that can move in the pocket, extend plays, and at the same time, make a team, burn a team, hit them deep, do those things. That's the only way that you're going to keep a defensive coordinator from blitzing, right? Because what's the downside mm-hmm. of blitzing? Well, I mean, we faced a zero blitz on our own 20-some yard line against the Dallas Cowboys, and they were successful. It's like, that's a gutsy call because if Jefferson can catch a slant and make one guy miss, holy cow, that's a, that's an 80-yard touchdown where, you know, you, so you have to start doing that. And guys that can move in the pocket just enough. You don't have, you know, you don't have to, you know, be like Dan Marino. Dan Marino, you ask anybody that played against him, he his ability to feel the pocket and step up. He well, he couldn't run, but he could move. He was quick. Um, but to do that, to to feel the pass rush, to know, and you guys do so many with so many stunts with three technique up the field and the ends coming underneath. There's that's a contained problem. It can be. And against cousins, you're going to be like, yeah, we'll be we'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And so you have to be able to do that. And Mac Jones, if if he gets that ability, because he can, he's accurate and he's strong armed. I've seen him before, um, be able to throw some, you know, some bullets in in tight coverage and get the ball to where it needs to be. Um, you know, I look at what uh, what Dallas did and what you guys can do with John Smith, your tight end, flex him out wide, big body guy, run a slant. Mac Jones can zip that thing in there. Um, so he has the, he has those things. I think I like Mac Jones. I mean, I, I think you need, yeah, you need to protect him, but you can't, if he can get that going about him, if he can get that feel for the pocket and the ability to move and extend some plays, uh, it's going to change his world. And, um, you know, cousins is a little bit older and probably less likely to pick that up at some point. So, um, but he's, you know, I think he's a solid quarterback. Yeah. I just wish the coaching staff would help him a little bit more in the offense with Matt Patricia and company. They haven't done a lot of that, but it's interesting you mentioned Marino because like with Brady, when he was here for all these years, one of the great things about watching him is he'd be like, how did he know that guy was going to be there? And he just move up in the pocket. Like he couldn't even, he was just so good at doing that. And by the way, he was very good at that. And he was also very good at knowing, looking out there and knowing exactly, okay, this is what I'm going to get. So if I'm getting this, I'm going to go right. You know, he knew, he knew right away. You know, it wasn't that thing with like blitzing or pressuring Brady is you're not going to surprise him too often. You know what I mean? He's not yeah. going to be surprised. So he knows right where to go with the football, and he's accurate enough to get it there. And he's calm, right? He doesn't. He he didn't. Uh, you didn't see him running around like freaked out or scared very often. So um, you have to have one or the other. You know what I'm saying? You have to have. Right. If and if you got a quarterback that can read a defense, then you can go ahead and just spread that defense out. 
because the more you spread a defense out, the harder it is to disguise. They got to tip their cap if they want to blitz or do some things here or make, you know, or the defense has to make everything look the same and do different things out of it. And by disguise, you're going to sacrifice coverage. And if the quarterback's smart enough, he's going to be able to pick you apart. Um, so that, you know, that's that direction, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, like hopefully for you guys, Mac Jones can get there. Yeah. And Pete, before we let you go, because I mentioned Brady and one of his favorite teammates of all time was Randy Moss. And we mentioned we, yeah. we, when we brought you on, you played from 94 to 2000 with the Vikings. And of course, Moss was drafted there in the late 90s. So take me back like your first impressions of Randy Moss when you saw him. Was it just like this guy's a little bit different than everybody else? Um, yeah, I played, I played with Randy and then I, I was coaching when Randy was still on the team. Um, and, um, interesting when I, I had an interview with Belichick and, and this was 2004, um, for a linebacker position. And, and Randy was one of the topics that we discussed along, you know, along the way. And Randy, um, he was very tall and very skinny. Right. And when he first showed up, I remember in minicamp right after he was drafted, he had an ankle issue from basketball or whatever. So um, everybody was like, okay, you know, well, you know, we'll have to see, we'll see. Then we got the training camp and it took about maybe three practices before the, the, the DBs, you can hear them in the back of the room. Uh, when we split up, you could hear them in the back of the room going, Oh my God, did you see this? And this guy, this, and this legit, this, and this, oh my, you know, oh my heavens. And, <laughs> you know, every, every day it was okay. Well, you know, we'll do this to him tomorrow. And, and you could hear the chatter, right. With my teammates, just about how good this guy was. Um, and it was the size and the speed and um, the hands and his ability to position his body and especially on the long passes and, 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 you know, time his jumps and all that, that whole package of, of things. And the one thing about Randy, um, you know, Randy was hilarious and I wish, you know, he's on TV. I wish he would just be, he would just call it like he sees it. Cause he's funny as hell. Um, smart as you know, he's very, 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 very smart wide receiver, smart player, um, great sense of humor, but the man worked hard. And when he came out, remember when he came out and said, you know, I play when I want to play and people criticized him for it. It's, I can't, you know, I, I see film, I watch film and it's like, he's, he's got the guts to say it because a lot of guys do that. Mm -hmm. Right. But they're not going to admit it, but there yeah. are a hell of a lot of guys out there who don't all, you know, you watch them on film, they'll jog after a ball or plays going the other way. And they'll just kind of, it, it's, he had the, he had the guts to say it. Right. He said, it. he's like, listen, I'll play when I want. And, and <laughs> so he was criticized, you know, he got criticized for that. And it's like, no, Randy's just, just, he's just telling you guys how it is you it's just uh, you know um you, you guys just don't like to hear him saying that but that's that's how it is and he was always that way um but that thanksgiving game uh in 1998 where he had three receptions against the dallas cowboys i believe for 160 yards somewhere in there but there were three receptions for three touchdowns Every, all yeah. three of them were randall cunningham heaving it deep um and that was that's when you knew, I think, at that point, because he, he by that time of the year, you're not surprising anyone anymore, you know. And then it got to team yeah. where teams, had, you know, watching film was worthless because whatever coverages these this team played for two weeks before you, um, when you, you know, I had this conversation with Linehan, he's like, it's worthless because they change everything just to stop him, right? Um, so 
But Randy was, yeah, he, he was unbelievable as a teammate. Thank goodness he was on our team, right? Thank goodness <laughs> that we didn't have to go play against him. Um, and he's, yeah, he's one of, he's, you know, he's a friend uh, as a former teammate. And when I see him, we still talk. He's just a, just a great guy. And uh, went to his fishing tournament that he had up here in Minnesota a couple summers ago. That was a great time as well. And, um, you know, he and Chris Carter up here in Minnesota got into the whole fishing thing. So that's good for him too. But um, yeah, I, m- I miss him. He's a great dude. Yeah, well, it was unfair watching him and Brady that 07 season. Obviously, they didn't finish the job. But my favorite is when Randy would just like put his hand up where he does, hey, Tom, throw it to me. You know, I'm open. And Brady's <laughs> yeah, like, all right, exactly. I'll throw it down to you. And that, but, and that yeah. Yeah, and that's another thing. What you are you gonna blitz when you can do? You know, when you you know one on one that guy, it's like nah, nah, nah. He yeah. he changed. He, he was like Adrian Peterson in that respect. I've seen teams. You know, it's one thing if if you have a player that can beat somebody man to man, like schematically, defensively, you've got a free guy there to stop him, um, and he can make a guy miss occasionally. That's one thing. But Rand, like Randy was like Adrian Peterson where. We played the Chargers one time. They had five defensive linemen on the field. This is back when teams didn't do that. You had five. He had, they had five linebackers, and or sorry, five defensive linemen and Whoa. two linebackers. I mean, they were as big as they could possibly get. And you know, Adrian still just ran. I mean, they, they just couldn't stop him. And when you physic, you know, think about it, as a player, you have a lot of pride, and you're like, we're not going to let this guy do this. And he goes out there and does it anyway. I mean, that's. Players like that are so rare, and Randy was one of them. Yeah, and the other thing that stuck out from what you said about Randy there is that when you interviewed with Bill in 04, he was asking you about Randy, which tells me that Bill was gathering intel on Randy Moss three years prior to ultimately the trade from the Raiders. It's smart. I mean, but it's smart as a head coach. I mean, you you know, if you're interviewing people, um, yeah, you have some, you you look at the roster and you're you're like, okay, well, what about this? You know, it's a couple of guys that you're interested in or you you have questions about or um, you don't know. Yeah, you you, you do that. That's intel. That's smart. I mean, I I guarantee it wasn't just Randy, um, you know, the other people that he brought in or whomever he talked to. I'm sure he had other folks that he was interested in. But um, yeah, he knew he knew that Randy was one of my teammates and asked me, he just asked me about him. I'm like, and I told him pretty much kind of the same, like I'm telling you guys, I'm like, listen, He's a great dude. He's funny as hell. Um, he's too honest and uh, works his ass off. And he did in practice. He worked his ass off. And that was really about it. So um, I guarantee you he talked to many other people before bringing Randy in. It's not. Yeah. But um, it's a prudent thing to do. Right. And, and you know, obviously Belichick is, is um, in that respect is as smart as they come. All right. That is Pete Bursich. He'll be calling the game. On Thursday night on the Vikings Radio Network, Vikings and Patriots Thanksgiving night. Pete, hopefully at least it's an entertaining game and have a great call. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're we're gonna see what side this coin lands on. You know, which team's gonna show up? So, uh, yeah, I, my expectations are as wide open as they've ever been. This has been an amazing season. Um, you know, winning in Washington that crazy game, and then, and then the Buffalo game. We've had some. This team is. I love this team. The team that we put together. The, you know the Vikings have put together. It's it's a fantastic team, and uh, just hope the right one shows up on uh, Thursday night. Great stuff, Pete. We really appreciate Thank it, you. man. Yeah, take care. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel, sorry, no. But angel hair pasta, Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. All right, great stuff there from Pete Bursich on the Vikings and in particular on Randy Moss. That was great. How about that? Bill was getting intel back in 2004 on Randy Moss before eventually they traded for him before the 2007 season. Not that that's surprising, but it is interesting to hear that a guy was interviewing for a coaching position and Bill asked him about Randy. All right, time now to get to our greatest Boston bet of the week. Thanks to our friends at FanDuel. So I like the Patriots in this game on Thursday night. Maybe you're thinking I'm crazy. I was just crapping on Matt Patricia and his play calling, et cetera. But I like the Patriots to win this game. So I would rather take them on the money line at plus 126 than actually take the spread. Better chance at winning more money that way anyways. And I think the Patriots are going to win this game. So I like to pass on the money line. So here's why I think they're going to win. So we've talked, and I just did for a long time, about the Patriots' offensive issues. The defense has been dominant. And we chatted with Pete Bursich about this. The Vikings don't have Christian Derisaw, one of the best left tackles in the NFL. And if you, you just look at him in terms of the pro football focus rank, third among tackles, third in run block grade, and 10th in pass block grade. So this guy is elite any way you slice it. And you look at the Patriots defense, which has been great this season. Like, this is what's so frustrating about the offense. 28.5% pressure rate, which is second in the NFL. And I was talking about earlier this week with James White about hey, has Judon, are they using him differently? Is he doing different things? Is there something that he's doing better than he was a year ago? And James White made a really good point where he said, well, the guys around him are just playing better this year. And if you look at it against the Jets, Judon had the three pressures, the two sacks. Wise had four pressures in one sack and Uche had three pressures. And if you look at Uche, he's got over the past couple games here, past three games, 11 pressures and four sacks. And if you look at his win rate, it's at 20.2%, which is 19th among edge players. And that's actually better than Wise. It's actually better than Judon because those guys are getting more opportunities and Uche is capitalizing. If he's your third pass rusher, that's a really good third pass rusher. So it was a really interesting point by James White about the other guys playing better. You look at Judon now in the season, we know that he leads the league in sacks, but Wise is now up to 38 pressures, which is 13th among edge players and seven sacks, which is 13th. So it's those other guys that are really good. And if you look at Kirk Cousins, last week against the Cowboys, under pressure, 18 dropbacks. He was four of 11, so that's 36.4%, 3.6 yards per attempt, and a 47.5 passer rating. On the season, he's being pressured on 37.6% of his dropbacks, eighth highest percentage in the NFL, and that's with Darisaw. Now they don't have Darisaw in this game coming up on Thursday night, if you look at his completion percentage against pressure, 42.3%, that is 34th of 39 quarterbacks. You look at the rating, 64.4, that's 25th. He's been sacked 27 times, that's 32 out of 39. 
So only seven quarterbacks have been sacked more than them. And the Patriots are not going to have to blitz to get there because the offensive line is banged up. And we know that Wise can get there. We know Uche can get there. We know Judon can get there. So I really like the matchup of this Patriots defense against the offense of the Minnesota Vikings, that matchup up front. And then the other thing I would say is this. If you look at the Vikings defense, and we mentioned this briefly with Pete, is they don't blitz 15.3% of the time, which is 28th of the NFL. They're mid of the pack in terms of pressure rate, 17th, 20.4%. And we know, as Pete laid out for us, that Zedarius Smith is banged up as well. Now he's going to play, but he's banged up. So the Patriots, Mac Jones, who struggles against pressure, we outline that. He's not going to face a ton of pressure in this game. And the other thing I'd say is this Vikings defense, 22nd in success rate against the run. I believe this is the game that we're going to see Ramondre Stevenson get going. Not that it's Ramondre's fault, but I think this is going to be a big game for Ramondre. So I like the Patriots to win on Thanksgiving. Okay, I want to get to the Celtics real quickly and then a thought on the Bruins as well. So at the Celtics, that game against the Bulls is the first time that I really thought all season long, like, oh, fuck, they're missing Rob in this one. Not that I didn't think coming into the season they were going to miss Rob. And not if you look at the numbers, you can see that they're missing Rob in some categories. But if you just look at that game last night, the Bulls in that game were 21 of 29 in the restricted area. That's 72.4%. Really good number on the season. They're at 60.5% of the restricted area, which is last in the NBA. So the thing to me about this is what happened in that game is the Celtics were doubling Vucevic a lot. He ends up with 12 points, 13 boards, and the six assists. He was a plus 20 in the game. The six assists, he's finding the open guy when he gets doubled. And with Rob there, it's a little bit different, right? Because they're getting guys cutting to the basket, getting to the restricted area. You try to do that against the Celtics with Rob. He's blocking your shot. And if you just look at it, the defense, we're seeing it. The defensive rating last year with Rob on the floor, 105.60, which would have been by far the best defense in the league. Without him, it was at 108.91, which would have been around seventh. And this year, they're at 16th at 111.8. So clearly, they're missing Rob right now. And if you just look at it in terms of shot attempts in the restricted era, the Celtics are doing a pretty good job this year, 23.9 attempts. That's the sixth fewest. Of course, last night we saw the 29 with the Bulls. That's because of the mismatches that they had in that game. Last year, the Celtics only gave up 21.4 attempts in the restricted area, the second fewest in the NBA. So you're talking about two and a half in terms of the difference there. So still been good, but not quite the same. And the other component is there's not a fear factor with the Celtics in terms of their interior defense or the guy that's lurking on the worst shooter on your team where you know he's going to come over at some point, right? It's like that great free safety for all those years in the NFL, like Ed Reed. You always had to know where he was. And that's sort of the impact that Rob had last year. And if you look at it this season, the leading shot blocker on the Celtics is Jason Tatum at 1.2 a game. That's 24th in the NBA. Last year, the reason... The Celtics could be so good defensively and they could gamble all the time. They forced a lot more turnovers last year. They're not forcing turnovers at all this year. And the reason for that is you could gamble because you know, hey, even if you fuck up, the big guy's back there and he's going to eliminate your mistake. He's going to delete your mistake. Rob last year, fourth in the NBA, 2.2 blocks per game. So you've gone from second as a team to 10th in the NBA in blocks. And it's because teams do not fear your interior defense. As great as Al is as a defender, he can switch and all that. He's not going to be a shot blocker. He's under a block per game this season. So that to me is the one game that stuck out where I'm like, they really could use Rob defensively. And then in that game last night, you could also use Rob offensively, right? So the Celtics, their three pointers were not going last night and you didn't really have that lob threat. So did you see they too, they tried to throw a lob to Cornette. I believe it was Brogdon. He like barely jumped for it. But anyway, the thing that Rob brings to the offense is 
that vertical spacing. And right now, the Celtics, they're in a historic pace offensively and all that. And we're nitpicking here. But the thing that Rob, like you think about how great this offense already is and you think about what Rob can bring, it's a dimension that nobody else can. So if you look at Rob last season, he had 157 dunks, which was seventh in the NBA, and he only played in 61 games. Tatum right now leads the Celtics in dunks with 16. That's 33rd in the NBA, and Jalen's at seven. So the point being, you don't have, this is your swing man, and this is your shooting guard in Jalen. Al only has six dunks on the season. So you don't have that element of the guy that can go to the basket and catch lobs. And if you look at Rob last season, in terms of where he was at, he was in the 84th percentile as the role man, 1.33 points per possession as the role man. This year, the Celtics are 18th in terms of their role men, 1.11 in terms of points per possession. Rob last year as the role man shot 67.8%. This year, the Celtics are at 26 at 47.9. So basically, that role man is not really an element of the offense in terms of actually catching lobs. Now, Grant will catch the ball in the short roll. Al will catch the ball in the short roll, but you don't have that dynamic guy that just gets downhill, gets to the basket, and Tatum can throw the ball wherever the hell he wants, and Rob's going to dunk that thing down. And it's crazy, too, because you think about how great this team has played offensively. They can go to a different level. And last night, I know like people were concerned about the threes on Twitter. The Seas took 16 corner threes, though, and they hit five, 31.3%. Those are good threes. 16 corner threes, those are good shots. They're at 10.4 a game, which is the second most in the NBA. They hit 39% of them. So they got good threes last night. They just didn't knock them down. So I guess the one positive about the loss to the Bulls is I was just thinking, you know what? I cannot wait to get Rob back because you're going to get a totally different thing with this offense. And it's going to be, I believe when he comes back, it's going to rejuvenate this team. When you're in the dog days of the NBA season, he's going to be somebody that really brings the energy back to where this team is at. Not to say that they're going to go on a big slump or anything along those lines, but can't wait to get the Rob guy back. All right. On the Bruins, Bergeron gets his 1,000th point on Monday night. Fourth B to do it, joining guys like Phil Esposito, Ray Bork. And he's doing this in his 37-year-old season, and he's still elite. Fifth Selkie Award last year, of course, goes to the best defensive forward. Most of any player in NHL history. And what sticks out to me about Bergeron is just like, if you think about the era he's played through, played for the majority of the early 2000s, played for all of last decade. And you just look at it and it's like he's almost underappreciated in this town, not by the super diehard Bruins fans, but think about the other guys that have come through here during his time. Obviously, you had Brady, you had Ortiz, you had Pierce, you had Garnett, the team that won a championship. And then you had guys like Xander Bogarts, who's a two-time World Series champion. It just feels like Patrice Bergeron doesn't get the appreciation that he ultimately deserves. Like I said, the diehard Bruin fan gives it to him, but he's still playing at an extremely high level. He's a plus 12, 13th in the league, second most face-offs won at 261. We know how great he's been in that, 61.3%, by the way. And last night, he was 15 of 24 in the face-off circle, 62.5%. It's just... It was a really cool way for him to get it to where Marshawn was the guy that he found. And the other thing that I really like about where this team is at right now, or at least he was credited for, it was the secondary assist, but nonetheless, Marshawn was the guy that scored the goal and Marshawn was looking for him after. You all saw what happened. It was great to see. But anyway, it's really cool to see almost like him getting his Ortiz opportunity where Ortiz was really good in his final season as a Red Sox. They went to the playoffs. The team was good. Ortiz was great. And Bergeron, who knows when he's going to decide to retire. I mean, he's playing at an elite level right now, but at least he's on a really good Bruins team. And I wasn't sure that entering the season, how good they were going to be. I thought they were going to be a 
playoff team, but not a team that had a Stanley Cup opportunity. I was wrong about that. So it is nice to see that. And just on last night, a ridiculous goal from Krejci. That snipe from deep on Vasilevsky. That was great to see. Krejci has clearly rejuvenated this team in some sense. Getting him back has been huge. And you look now, they're 17-2-0, seven straight wins. They score again twice on the power play. That's up to 30% on the season, which is third in the league. And one thing that stuck out to me this year as well is Jake DeBrusque. So two assists last night, one to Marchand and one to Pasta on the power play. He's playing with a ton of speed. He just looks really good right now. 13 points already on pace for just under 59, and he was at 42 last year. So he's probably, I shouldn't say probably, he's never going to live up to the hype of being drafted 14th overall. But I think what we're seeing is, and as much as we shit on the guy last year for demanding a trade because of all the issues he had with Bruce Casty. It is nice to see this version of Jake DeBrusque where he's contributing to this team at a really high level, and clearly the coaching change has helped Jake DeBrusque, you could argue, more than anybody else on this team. Now, Lindholm, the system that Montgomery has put in has really helped Lindholm as he's emerged as somebody that's one of the better defensemen in the NHL from an offensive perspective as well. Obviously, it helped to cast he was gone to bring Krejci back, but then you look at what it's meant to Jake DeBrusque, you cannot diminish that whatsoever. So I'm optimistic about this is the version of Jake DeBrusque we're going to get for the rest of the season. All right, we'll be back with you on Thursday night after the Patriots and the Vikings game. So that'll be in your feed early on Friday morning, I should say. James White is going to join us and we'll break down this huge Patriots-Vikings game. Like I told you, I believe the Patriots are going to win this game. If you want to leave us a voicemail, your thoughts on the game, 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.